This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store with the Squarespace Commerce feature. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club, it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. To face your first challenge and find out more, head on over to trekfan.org. You're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me as he is every week is my co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's everything going for you this week? It's going pretty well, Chris. Uh, This morning, actually, woke up to a thunderstorm, so I really wanted to just turn back over and go back to sleep, but unfortunately had to go stand in the train station uh, waiting for the train for work. Uh, But uh, it's meant that today is a beautifully cool evening, so the windows are open in the house, so really enjoying it. And um, while we were recording, having a nice Guinness, so it's actually uh, quite a nice evening. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, no Guinness for me over here. I'm having a nice glass of water as it's 1040 in the morning and I already had my coffee. So I got to gotta ease off the caffeine a little bit here. Chris, it, it's always five o'clock somewhere. Um, there's no reason not to imbibe if, if that's what you feel like you need to do. I'm not going to judge you. Hmm, maybe I need some of that Andorian ale that I've been watching Shran and Archer drink on Enterprise recently. Andorian ale, Romulan ale. There's a lot of good ales out there to choose from. And you notice that they're almost always blue in these shows. You know, like, we don't drink a lot of blue drinks here on Earth, but apparently on, like, Andoria, Romulus, blue is the color, preferred color for your drink. Apparently so. Yeah, I have noticed that. It's like, um, it's kind of like a blue Hawaiian, but I, I have a feeling it has a little bit of a stronger punch, especially... That Andorian L seems to really have a kick to it. Well, and you know you're a real man if you can just shoot it and, and you know, not give that grimace. And so Archer pulls it off pretty well for, you know, the first time tasting Andorian ale. He does, doesn't he? It's like Shran throws it back and he makes that face. And then Archer, being a human, throws back some Andorian ale. And he's like, what else you got there, Shran? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was all that time he spent at the 602 Club hanging out with Trip and uh, Commodore Forrest, you know. and That's it. Um, yeah. You know, of course, AG before he died, and right. uh, they would have drinking games, and so Archer's pretty good. He is pretty good. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about Enterprise today. We're here to talk about books and comics, and the uh, the first thing that we have up 
is an interesting thing that I came across just kind of roaming around the web for Star Trek news, little bits of things that we could talk about. And I found this on a website called An Eclectic Bookshelf. And uh, this is a fan named David King, and he has set up a challenge for himself to read every Star Trek book ever written in chronological order. Now, not chronological order as in the publication order, but he has gone through all the books and he has put them out on the Star Trek timeline, and he's going to attempt to read straight through from uh, the earliest event in Star Trek history to the most recent. That's a lot of books, Matthew. Not only that, Chris, but I'm, you know, I'm just perusing the site at the moment and looking at all of the work that he's done to put these in chronological order uh, is fantastic. I mean, you're starting with the rise of, of Khan Noonien Singh, Volume 1, then Volume 2, then you head all the way to Broken Bow is, is the next thing. Uh, you jump around, you you get to um, Starfleet Year One, Final Frontier. I mean, he has gone through and done some amazing work here. Um, and interestingly enough, he's actually put new Trek inside old Trek. So um, that the uh, books that he would read um, for the Starfleet Academy books that they're doing for new Trek um, and the Star Trek novelization as well as the In the Darkness novelization is actually in this timeline as well. So um, kind of see where that fits is, is very interesting. Fantastic work, man. This guy is incredible. Uh, you know, so if you want to look him up, um, you know, he's on he's on Twitter. He's from Scotland, actually, which is really cool. So this one Scottish fan is boldly going where I don't think many Trek fans have gone before in trying to read every novelization uh, that's out there uh, for Star Trek. So, yeah, way to go, David King. This is awesome. Yeah, it's really amazing. Now, he says that as new books come out, he's going to slot them in where they should fall on the timeline and read them as soon as possible. So whatever book he's reading, wherever he is on the timeline, if something comes in that would be earlier on the timeline, when he finishes the current book, he's going to read that book. That's kind of, you know, the only way to fill in the gaps. Now, it makes me wonder, we already have a case here with Dayton's new book from History Shadow that's going to be coming out. Uh, that's going to take us all the way back, I guess, to 1947, isn't it? Because that plays off of Little Green Men a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot in that book that's going to jump around. Um, and so those kind of books for this kind of list, you're really going to have an issue, you know. So I, my guess is, is that you would take where it's um, most of the story takes place is where mm -hmm. you'd place it on this timeline that he's created. But I'm not sure. So uh, but you're right, you know. Being in, in 47 in that book, at least for some of it, uh, you are going to, could be the earliest book on here. So It could be, yeah. Well, I am very interested to see how David does with this. Uh, we, we need to get in touch with David and find out how he's progressing and, and get his thoughts on the process, because this is really an exciting uh, project. It's what I would love to do myself. I've I've kind of been kicking around the idea of going back and rereading uh, well, I haven't read, obviously, every Star Trek book that's ever been printed because there are so many of them. I've read a fair number of them, and I've thought about going through and trying to read them all again. But boy, I don't know if I'm up to the challenge. Yeah, um, I'm just looking here, Chris, and, and 
I was trying to see if he had had listed, like, numbered how many books this is, but um, he doesn't. He he has the numbers uh, in the in the year, and then it starts again for the next uh, set of years. And so, I don't even know how many books this is. But I'm not gonna lie. I'm scrolling on my iPad right now, and I'm going. <laughs> I'm still going. Still going. Yep, that's right. So, oh, nope, finally got to the end. Um, so, there are a lot of books here. And uh, he even has the reference books at the very, very end, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, so, reading like something like I Am Spock or the, the USS Enterprise Haynes Manual. Um, of course, the uh, technical manuals. Uh, the Star Trek Encyclopedia, which unfortunately hasn't been updated since I think Voyager was in its fourth year so it's pretty out to pretty out of date yeah um and then uh so yeah this is an incredible work yeah disappointingly when they released the star trek encyclopedia kindle edition uh, about a year ago i believe it was it might have been two years now i feel like they really missed an opportunity there to update that book because they they didn't really update it they just um pretty much prepared the existing version for kindle I don't know. There there may have been a couple of little changes to it, but there's they certainly didn't go through and update it through the end of Enterprise like they I I think they should have. But I know it's a lot of work, and they didn't want to invest in that. So yeah, that is a lot of work having to kind of re-engineer that whole thing mm-hmm. with everything you got from the end of Voyager to the end of Enterprise. That's a lot of stuff. I wish they would do it though. Um, then you could have you know the entire Prime Universe history on screen, in your hands, uh, be fantastic. You know, the original had the the great chronology in the back as well of all the important events and, and uh, all the episodes. I just, it was a fantastic book. I really wish they'd let Michael Okuda get to working on a, you know, a full-fledged thing. And who knows, you know, um, with the popularity that we've seen of, Star Trek books and even Star Trek um, nonfiction books recently. Uh, maybe this will be something that they'll consider. I hope so. Yeah, we are seeing a resurgence in reference books being produced and other types of books. So hopefully, uh, going back to the number of books here, I I don't know off the top of my head the actual number, but as with episodes, a number somewhere around seven hundred, a little over seven hundred pops into my mind is something that I have read before in terms of how many Star Trek books have actually been written. So uh, David has a really big challenge in front of him here. But uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes if you'd like to go over to David's website and you can see this really great list that he has put together, putting all the novels on the timeline in chronological order. So, you know, if you're up to the challenge yourself, then um, you got a lot of reading ahead of you. But it's a a really impressive project. Well, Chris, we had uh, something that I just wanted to remind all the readers and listeners out there was that the shocks of adversity has come out. Uh, it came out this last week. And if you haven't picked up your copy, you'll want to do that. And uh, William Lesner has written a fantastic new book. I'm really excited to be getting into this one. I'm writing up the review of the folded world right now. So that should be out sometime soon. 
And then I'm diving right into this one next. Uh, so just kind of enjoying uh, all the TOS that we've been getting in the novels. Uh, but this one sounds really exciting, and, and we've talked about it before. But I just wanted to remind everybody that this one's out there and ready for you to pick up, especially if, you know, you're just in that Into Darkness blues. I mean, you've already been to the theater four, five, six, seven times to see the film, and you're just missing your Star Trek. Well, here's <laughs> your chance to get some new Star Trek. Not that you have seen it six or seven times yourself now, right, Matthew? No, I mean, only four, Chris. Come on, I'm, <laughs> I'm a completely reasonable human being. Only four. That's right. Oh, goodness. All right. Yeah, the, this book, the concept of this book sounds very interesting to me. Again, this is where um, there is the Federation, and then there is this area called the Domain, the Goeg Domain, and they seem to be very similar in the beginning, uh, Kirk and his crew get pulled into a conflict and uh, they find out that, you know, maybe the domain doesn't have as much in common with the Federation as they first thought. So very, very interesting concept here. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading this one myself. Well, next uh, up, Chris, was uh, in our comic news. And uh, this is something I think we talked about a while back. And just one of the most interesting crossovers that I've seen, you know, they did The Next Generation and Doctor Who as a crossover, which mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, it's like two major geek worlds collided. Um, and uh, here was another thing that uh, IDW and DC Comics put together, which was Star Trek and the Legion of Superheroes Omnibus. And um, so the, the crew of the Starship Enterprise and the Legion of Superheroes come face to face as they deal with a uh, changed history and a timeline. And neither one of them can understand what the cause of that is so you know why they're intersecting their universes in the first place and, and what's going on so this is a fun read i was reading some of the review copy of this actually and really enjoying this and so if you enjoy fun crossovers this is something that you definitely might want to look at and this just came out in trade paperback so you can pick up the whole thing together you know so you don't have to wait for the issues to come out now yeah, I got the first issue of this when it came out, and I read the first issue, and I was just kind of curious what it was like. And then I haven't read the other issues. Um, Matthew, you're a little bit more of a general comic fan than I am, you know, and you're, I think, into a bit more of the superhero comics. Uh, what did you think about the idea here of crossing uh, Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek? Do they, do they mesh well for you? I think that this is probably, you know, when if you're going to mesh DC Universe with uh, Star Trek, it's probably one of the best things to do because um, the Legion of Superheroes already does time travel. In, in fact, Superman has, has time traveled to their 31st century. Oh, really? Did he, did he meet Crewman Daniels? He did, actually. Um, that was probably the first uh, issue. Uh, he ran into Crewman Daniels. Daniels had to pull him into this 31st century to help the Legion of Superheroes defeat enemy. But that's not the story they're telling here. Um, and so, yeah, this is, this is something that actually does kind of work pretty well just because of the fact that what the Legion of Superheroes does on a regular basis, which time travel is a part of that, Star Trek, you know, crossing over universes, then it's not that 
abnormal um you know so that instead of them just crossing over in a mirror universe they've crossed over into an alternate universe like the legion of superheroes so it's it's just i think it's just fun you know um sometimes we kind of miss that in comics they get all brooding and everybody's trying to be all relevant and stuff and sometimes you just want to pop up with a comic book and be entertained all right well i might give this another go maybe i'll, I'll get the review copy take a look at the review copy and see what I think about it. And um, yeah, well, if you are interested in this, again, it's coming out. Nineteen ninety nine is the list price. Um, I think you can get it right now for about 14 from Amazon, something in that range. So um, check that out. All right, Matthew, one more thing up in comic news we have here is an article that Jordan Hoffman wrote for StarTrek.com. And this is 10 awesome ongoing things. Now, Jordan has pulled 10 elements out of the Star Trek ongoing comics, which he has classified as certified awesome. And let's tell everyone what those are. So what's number 10 on his list? Well, Chris, at number 10, he puts Gary Mitchell, which I thought was interesting choice. Um, And, uh, you know, just the fact that uh, it's not completely a reproduction of the original story. Um, but uh, seeing, you know, the new Kirk uh, with his good friend uh, getting these godlike powers and the creepy glowing eyes, uh, you know, it's just it was a weird episode of, of the original series in the first place. And watching this Kirk go through that again was just really interesting um, because uh, it, it does go down a little bit differently in the end. And it really does make me wonder if in some ways, you know, Gary Mitchell was a precursor to something like the Q, um, but he just wasn't ready for it, because um, that's really what he seems to be, is like a proto-Q. Could be, yeah. I've never really thought about that very much, but yeah, could be, because we know that the Q were not always these omnipotent beings who you know, could travel back and forth through time or anywhere in space with the snap of their fingers. So yeah, who knows? Could be. Chris, it's, it's, it's really my goal to regularly blow minds. And so, um, that, (laughs) (laughs) that actually just came to me. Um, so it's not like I've been thinking and sitting on that for, you know, years waiting for a podcast. Oh, come on. I saw that. They're the same one. I saw that Instagram that you posted where you had diagrammed it all out on paper. Yeah, I actually turned an entire wall into a whiteboard just so I could get this um, equation down. So that's right. I'm a little crazy. All right. Well, number nine is one that I agree with a little bit more, which is Kirk's brother lives. Uh, I did like this twist in the ongoing version of Operation Annihilate, where we find out that George Kirk is actually still alive in the Abrams verse. Yeah, this was a great twist, um, and it, what, what's really interesting about it too is it just makes me wonder how they're going to play this. You know, in the um, the original series, you know, Kirk's crew really becomes his family, and and this new Trek, you know, he doesn't seem to be super close to his mother, and um, then he doesn't um, have a father, of course, and. But he has this brother that he's been estranged from, which is really interesting. And now that they're back in his life, I'm wondering how they're going to play this back into Kirk. 
and just uh, how that's going to play into his growth as a character, which I really hope it does. I hope this is not something that they kind of forget about in the comics. Right. Yeah, I've been wondering, too, when they're going to pick up that thread somewhere down the road, because as we've seen with a lot of what they're doing, uh, often they're setting up things for later on. They're not just throwing out things like, oh, here's something cool that we can change. George Kirk's alive, and then we never hear from him again. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes as as they move on. Well, the next one, Chris, I thought was really interesting was the Archon. And this was where the episodes that they were doing um, based on old episodes really started to change a lot more. And uh, the there's something really mysterious about this ship, uh, the Archon, and, and what had happened to it. But... It's also linked to something that's going on with the whole Section 31 in this universe, which I found fascinating. Um, I thought it was a great addition, fantastic way to change things up. So I was really glad to see them use this as a, as a diving or as a platform to really get somewhere different in this universe, really start diverging it even more. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. The Archon was a very cool concept. And they really set up, and again, we'll see if they do anything with it, but they definitely set up a very compelling storyline involving Section 31. I I don't think they ever name Section 31 in that comic, do they? But it is kind of implied that it could be Section 31 or the predecessor to Section 31. It's this kind of shady activity that's taking place within Starfleet. Yeah, it's not something that they mention there. It's something they'll mention uh, later on. Um, But uh, you get the feeling that there is this kind of seedy underbelly of Starfleet that not a lot of people know about. Um, And uh, Kirk keeps running into it, you know, kind of accidentally. Uh, So I'm really interested to see where they go with this one. Definitely. Plus, that comic had beautiful artwork. We've talked about it on here before. The, The underground scenes with the Archon saucer section as kind of like an altar was was really beautiful yeah good stuff yeah all right next up at number seven are romulan ships and jordan just really likes getting a look at the alternate reality romulan vessels and you know we have that that kind of whole bit where they're trying to collect red matter uh the vulcans are trying to collect red matter again I don't know. The, the, for me, the Romulan ship, it didn't really stand out all that much. Yeah, I just remember it being really slick um, looking. And, you know, it just it, it looked very streamlined and uh, it, it did have a, a difference from the original series. But on a whole, um, Romulan technology and ship design has never been my favorite. <laughs> um, they're kind of a boring race when it comes to their technology designs. But, um, hey, you know, that's the great thing about the comics. You get all these different things that, uh, you know, some people really like, some people are like, eh. But, you know, uh, everybody gets a little bit of something, and I think that's really cool. Um, And the next one is something that I really enjoyed seeing, and this is something that you'll see uh, more of in Into Darkness, uh, but... uh, the Kronos homeworld, which we see a little bit of um, in uh, the Countdown to Darkness series, and uh, looks fantastic. I think very much like what we see in the Prime universe, but at the same time having uh, just a 
also that feeling you get when you see it on Enterprise um, in Unexpected, remember that, Chris? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it feels a little bit more, uh, I guess, barbaric um, than what we see in, in the next generation. So, right. yeah, I was excited to see Kronos, and ho- I'm sure we're going to be seeing more. And hopefully um, they won't be keeping their helmets on as much, uh, you know, since Into Darkness finally lets us see what the Klingons look like. Right. So if you have that action figure that we've talked about on the ready room in the in the lead up to Into Darkness, now that the movie's out, um, I think that the, the, the locking mechanism on the helmet has um, opened up and you can now remove the helmet, right? Yeah, it was fantastic when that happened, too. Uh, there was like an <laughs> alarm that went off and, uh, you know, it spoke to you and it said, you will now take the Klingon helmet off. <laughs> into Darkness has been released into theaters May fifteenth, two thousand, you know, thirteen. It was it was really odd because I was sleeping at the moment, so and it um, woke you up. Yeah, exactly. Weird Klingon. Weird oh, Klingons. All right. Well, number five on the list is Robert April, and I totally agree with this one. I thought that was just a really really cool twist when uh, we turn that page and we find Robert April standing there because it was a great nod to the lore of the original series. And it it was one of those moments that showed that, you know, for all the flack that Orsi and, and Abrams and all those guys get for quote, not knowing Star Trek, it, it showed that regardless of what they choose to do with Star Trek, they actually do know the back history, especially of TOS, and, and they do know the characters that they're working with. Yeah, I loved that scene where you found out who it was that Kirk was talking to on this planet. You realize it's Robert April, and, and this guy, I mean, he's gone rogue um, from Starfleet, and uh, nothing like the Robert April that we see in the animated series, which I think is really interesting, too great use of a character and and just creating something really new for us yeah most definitely so i really like that and uh the the next thing on here is another nice little thing and and i know that i haven't been able to see into darkness yet it's coming up very soon for me and i know that these little guys do appear in the movie and those are tribbles yeah i think this is funny chris because you know we got a tribble in Star Trek 09, it was on Scotty's desk. And, That's right. You yeah. know, all the fans that were paying attention heard yeah. the sounds, and they, everybody was like, oh, it's a triple. And then Keenzer uh, ate in... it, and we heard those exactly, sounds. Exactly, then... because, uh, <laughs> you know, you can eat like a bean, and then you're done. Um, <laughs> shut up! Uh, anyway, just like that scene. It's so funny. Anyway. Um, yes, uh, this was fun, getting to see the triples, uh, and their, that, you know, when they go to that planet and there's all of those tribbles and they're just everywhere. Right. I was remembering when Worf was talking about how the Klingon Empire wanted to eradicate them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just imagining Klingons running through the field of tribbles, swinging their batlets left and right, just massacring tribbles. Made me laugh a little bit. And then I got sad. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good connection. It really was. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the Tribbles, as the Klingons say, are an ecological menace. And we do see that a little bit in the comics, too, when Scotty beams one over to San Francisco and then 
San Francisco starts getting covered with triples. So that was oh, nice. Oh, goodness. I, that's, yeah. That futuristic San Francisco with its ginormous buildings. I just can't imagine triples covering all of them. So, well, the next thing we had here was Cupcake. And I loved the fact that they took this character who had, you know, a small role in the original 09 film and gave him something to do. And it was nice to see them kind of do this kind of lower decks, you know, the red shirt issue with Hendorf. You know, we learned his name and uh, let us see, you know, what it's like to be a red shirt. I just really enjoyed that. You know, on the original series, obviously those guys are just there to die and we know that. Um, but, you know, this was a guy who had had a run in with Kirk early on. And comes to really respect him then as his captain. I just thought this was a great story. Very interesting and a fun thing to get to do with a, with a smaller character from the film. Smaller as in the size of his role, not as in the actual body size of the character, of course. Oh, no. No, Hendorf's <laughs> huge. Yeah. <laughs> you better be careful, Matthew. You don't want to make Cupcake mad. He'll knock you out. Yeah, he doesn't allow anybody else to call him Cupcake. I tried. Um, I spent two days with a steak on my eye. So, <laughs> Well, Matthew, the, the final two items on Jordan's list here both made me wonder at first if this was actually a list that you put together yourself because number two is Keenzer, Scotty's little buddy. Well, apparently, Chris uh, and... Um, I, I really like this, but uh, Jordan and I just think a lot alike, and we realize that Keenzer is the real heart of the new new Star Trek, and uh, you can't uh, really get away from the fact that you need to do the Keenzer backstory so that all the other backstories make sense, and I was really glad <laughs> that they finally gave Keenzer... Um, his his due and what was really interesting though about that issue was the fact that the crew of the kelvin are the ones who make first contact with keenzer's people um and i think that's really you know that's a fun thing to see that you know kirk's dad's ship is the one who had made first contact with keenzer and, and uh had a part in um scotty meeting keenzer it makes sense to me all right, so Keenzer's pretty cool. I think we all like Keenzer. And um, you know, I was watching some DS9 uh, yesterday, and uh, there was a scene where, you know, on DS9, there are all these random aliens who walk by. They're kind of like one-off aliens, and they don't, they don't have any real speaking roles or anything. Right. There are these two little guys that walked by that, that looked a lot like Keenzer. And um, it made me think, hmm, I wonder if they are... Related to Keenzer, I wonder if Keenzer was inspired by these guys. I, I wonder. So it does kind of make me wonder if the guys with New Trek had had just gone through and and looked at all the drawings that they had done throughout all the series of what aliens would look like and just picked out all the ones that they couldn't do, you know, back in the day. Yeah, um, when it would have been too expensive, and and now that they have all this money and you know, hundred ninety million dollars to make a film. You can do that, and uh, so hmm. I, I, that I like that idea, Chris. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one and say that that's what they did. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I don't know. I doubt it, but you never know. But number one on the list, and this is why I really, really thought this was a Matthew Rushing list of a uh, 
10 cool things about ongoing. Number one is mud. Well, Chris, uh, you know, she's Bajoran. Uh, I really enjoy Bajoran women. Um, she is beautiful. Uh, I like that too. Uh, and she's tough as nails, and I enjoy that. Um, I thought that the character of Mud was just a great reference. Um, you know, they, they realize, okay, look, we need a smuggler for this role. Wouldn't it be fun if somehow we throw in a reference to Mud and, and it's, it's Harry Mud's daughter? You know, we don't know how that happened yet, but I'm sure that this is not something that just threw in for no good reason. It does actually play a part in, in, in the darkness a little bit. And so, you know, they're not just chunking things at you for, for just laughs. So, um, I think this is fun. Um, I like that they also give us the reference of the fact that she's a Bajoran, um, kind of giving that nod to Deep Space Nine and the next generation by doing that and saying, you know, if you paid attention, you know, these aliens. And I just appreciate that. I feel like, they are winking at me, the person who has stayed with Star Trek, and saying, hey, we're not forgetting about you. Right, yeah. I, I like it when they fill in the blanks of these alien races that came later on in the production of Star Trek, but you know that they, they had to have been around in the past as well. And so that was nice. And, you know, we know what Harry Mudd was like. You know, we know that he liked women. And it's certainly plausible that at some point, he hooked up with the Bajoran and he has a half Bajoran daughter now and she would follow in her father's footsteps. So it's a great way to bring mud into the Abrams verse without just simply lifting Harry mud and just sticking Harry mud back in. Uh, Cause if you put Harry mud back in, you have to, I don't know the way you approach the character of mud has to be different. You know, the way he interacts with the crew, but if you make it his half Bajoran daughter, then you can do all kinds of new things with Mud, and you have that connection, but you're not locked into the history of the character. So that's pretty cool. And I like how on Enterprise, especially in the fourth season, they make a number of references to Cardassians, and Cardassians being a race that first appeared on The Next Generation and, and of course, were a centerpiece of DS9. And then you find out that, yeah, well, even in the 22nd century, uh, humans knew about Cardassians, and, and there were encounters uh, of some kind with Cardassians. You know, even they're only referenced on the show, but it's it's there. I like when they fill in the blanks like that. Well, and what's really interesting about this too, Chris, as you were talking about, um, she obviously doesn't look anything like uh, Harry Mudd that we know. Um, and so um, she must take out off mostly from her mother and uh that's definitely kind of the woman that Harry Mudd would want to be with at least once. So, you know, that whole kind of backstory I can build in my head completely makes sense from the character that I know from TOS. Um, and it, it's just enjoyable. It's just fun. You know, it. Um, that's one of the things about so this universe is they can throw some things at us and it doesn't have to be like specifically, oh, we're going to give you this because it's going to really mean something. It's just, hey, this is going to be fun to give you this, uh, and we like doing it. So, you know, it's, it's a comic book. Um, it's supposed to be a good time uh, on top of telling me a good story as well. And so I just appreciate that. 
most definitely. All right. Well, that wraps up the news that we have today. I did want to just throw out there because I know some of our listeners are probably wondering, when are you guys going to talk about After Darkness? And um, as anyone who listens to this show or The Ready Room knows, the release date for Star Trek Into Darkness in Japan is August 23rd. So I have not seen the movie yet, and therefore we cannot talk about these comics, but we're going to as soon as I see the movie. And good news for me is that I am going to be seeing the movie in a couple of weeks. On June 25th, I'm going to be screening the movie privately over at Paramount in Tokyo. So I'm glad I'll get to see it a good two months ahead of schedule here in Japan. And then after that, we will be bringing you our thoughts on After Darkness. All right. Well, Matthew, before we jump into the feature today, let's take a moment and tell everyone about our sponsor, Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, a blog, a portfolio. And with the commerce feature that they added recently, you can even do an online store and have it set up in just a few minutes. Now, I've been using Squarespace for five or six years. I absolutely love the platform. I use it for my personal work. I use it for Trek of Film. I use it for client projects. And one thing I love about it as a designer is that Squarespace really cares about design. And they have these uh, templates that you can use as a starting point for your website or your blog. And then they make it very easy for you to modify that using a 100% drag and drop system and what they call Layout Engine. Matthew, can you tell us a little bit about what Layout Engine is? Sure can, Chris. It's really cool. Layout Engine uh, technology gives you the freedom to create a visually rich page that uh, configures the text, the images, the, the products, and, and you know those content blocks. You simply drag your content exactly where you want it, and then they'll automatically align them in a perfect grid. And if you're like me and you're not somebody who's really web savvy, this is perfect. Um, it, you know, like you said, the layouts are beautiful and just being able to put things where I want them and kind of rearrange them by dragging and dropping is fantastic. And um, one of the things that Squarespace does is it's exceptionally well designed. Um, you know, each template has hundreds of little customizing options for it. Uh, you've got over 300 fonts. If you're like me, I'm a font freak. If I'm making something, I, I really do. I, I will spend like 45 minutes just picking out the right font because it, it right. really sets the tone. Yeah. And so, um, and then what's great about this, Chris, is it's got responsive design. Uh, Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design so that your site automatically scales. So if somebody's looking at it, their iPhone, it's going to look one way. If it, you look at it on your iPad, it's going to look another. And if you look at it on the desktop, you're going to have that full site. But this way, people don't miss the content. It's created specifically for the device they're looking on, which is really important in today's mobile world. It really is. And it's very useful as well. And like for me, a big time saver, I'm working on a project right now for a client and I'm prototyping the site in Squarespace. And because of the responsive design, I've been able to very quickly build the framework for the site and take screenshots from my desktop, from my iPad and from my iPhone and show those to my clients so they can actually see how the site is going to look on all these different devices. And I didn't have to build you know, different sites for each one of these. All I had to do was do it once and then using the display from responsive design, show them what it looks like. And it's been a huge time saver for me 
Now, another thing I wanted to mention this week, because we don't really talk about this feature very often, is the developer platform. Because, you know, some of you may be listening and you may be thinking that, you know, this drag and drop, it's all great for the average person, but I'm a web developer and I like to have absolute 100% control. I like to write my code by hand. I like to write my own custom CSS. I want to be able to, you know, have FTP access where I can upload and, and download files back and forth uh, as I please uh, with a traditional, you know, file folder structure. Well, you can do that with Squarespace as well. In addition to the uh, drag and drop system that we talk about most of the time, Squarespace actually does have a developer's platform that gives you complete control over the display of your website. It gives you complete control over every line of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It has Git and SFTP, Secure FTP. It also has version control. That comes standard. It has developer tools like less preprocessing, JSON templating, you know, script comboing. It gives you retina-ready responsive image handling, which is really important these days as more and more displays become retina quality. And, uh, and a great thing about the Squarespace developer platform is that developer accounts are free. They never expire while in development. And you can take as much time as you want developing the website before you launch it. And you don't pay anything until you're ready to launch the website. And then once you're ready, the pricing starts at $16 per month when you go live. It's very, very affordable. It's a great way for you to take advantage of all the power of Squarespace that we normally talk about while you maintain complete control as the developer and you're not having to put out money during that development process either. So it's a fantastic option for you if you are a developer and and you think Squarespace sounds great but maybe you you are concerned that it might limit you. Trust me, Squarespace will not limit you. You can do absolutely anything you want to with this platform. So Matthew, let's tell everyone how they can try Squarespace for free. You can get a free account, 14-day trial, no credit card required. All they ask you for is your name and an email address, and they use that to set up the site. You can use all the features of Squarespace for 14 days, or of course, you can set up a developer account as well if you'd like to have that complete control. And then when you get ready to sign up after 14 days, pricing starts at $8 per month standard, $16 for the unlimited package. And if you want to build an online store, you'll want to get the business package for just $24 per month. And as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off by using offer code TREK6. So just go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6. And when you do this, you'll be getting the web's best CMS, you'll be getting the best hosting, and you'll be getting the best customer service because Squarespace, they are there for you 24-7, and they really are. I've had to talk to them a number of times just with different questions I've had. You know, I want to have some help with this or that. They usually respond to me in a matter of minutes, and they stay with me all the way through until my problem is resolved or my questions have been answered. And uh, you can get it all by just going to squarespace.com slash trek. Use offer code TREK6 to save 10%. And you'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring this programming to you every week.
Well, Chris, this week we wanted to do something a little bit different. We've been talking about some books, and we thought we would go back to some comics for a while. And, of course, we couldn't do uh, After Darkness. Uh, and uh, looking at that and, and the ongoing issues that preceded that countdown to darkness and seeing how they played into the film yet. So I picked out some comics that I, I wanted to read um, because they had to do with captains that we'd heard about and seen in Star Trek but hadn't gotten the um, the play that a Captain Kirk or you know Picard or Cisco had gotten. And uh, so they did some great comics called Captain's Log, and then they picked out um, different captains. So we got Sulu, uh, John Harriman from the Enterprise B, um, Captain Pike, uh, the uh, first captain that we see as Captain of the Enterprise when you watch um, the original pilot. And then, of course, uh, Captain Jellico, which we saw in uh, The Next Generation, which, interestingly enough, and, and obviously not everybody's favorite person. No. Um, and <laughs> so I was definitely wondering, you know, just picking these up, okay, so how are they going to make this guy somewhat likable? Because, yeah. man, he's just a jerk. He really um, is. I'm not going to lie. So, Well, before we jump into the actual issues, uh some people may be wondering, like, how did they pick these four particular captains? And an interesting thing about this series is that it was originally intended to be a little bit more of an ongoing series than it was. And of course, Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C and Riker with USS Titan were tossed out there as ideas for captains that would be covered. Now, of course, Riker has his own. There are some Titan comics that have, have come out, so that's good. But Garrett got uh, tossed, that uh, got canceled, and uh, so we ended up only getting these four, unfortunately. But um, who knows, maybe they'll revive this at some point. Because, you know, like they've shown with the Captain's Table novels, there are probably at least a dozen different captains that you could do in stories like this. You know, Chris, I'm really waiting for them to do uh, the story about Captain Baudet, the Gallimite with the <laughs> transparent yes. skull, um, and one of his first dates with Janzia. I really, um, want, I really to, want to know how that went. Yeah. I, I think that would be a great... The artwork in that is going to be spectacular. Oh, it better be. Um, if I don't see brains sloshing around on the page, I'm gonna feel like I've wasted three ninety nine. Um, and so, uh, but I, yeah, this is a series that I would have loved to have seen continue because, you know, even if you don't love every single issue, I think it's a great idea to give us a background of these captains that we haven't gotten to see in their further stories. And, and luckily, um, if you've read The Lost Years, some of these captains get their due. Sulu does, Harriman does, um, uh, Garrett, Garrett does. does as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you actually do get to see some of these captains in novels. Uh, but, you know, there's something about getting to see the visual representation for me in a comic that is sometimes more enjoyable um, because you get to live in their world visually and you know the first time I saw them visually was on screen and so this is almost like watching a mini episode when you read the comic and so um, the first one that they did was was Captain Sulu obviously Captain of the Excelsior which is fantastic although I will point out immediately in this comic that every time they show a graphic of Sulu ship it's the Enterprise A in the background and not the Excelsior it bugged me to death 
That's true. The big, huge graphic on the back of the Excelsior um, is always the Enterprise A, um, and it really, really bothers me. And in fact, anytime you see a graphic behind the captain, um, like when he's in the turbo lift, it's also the Enterprise A. Um, I don't know why they made the mis- this mistake, because um, they're clearly on the Excelsior. Right. Um, it is weird, isn't it? Because it even, like on the graphics behind him, they, they have that same display of the ship like you had on the Excelsior Bridge, but it even says on the saucer section, NCC 1701-A. So it's not just the shape of the ship. It literally is even labeled 1701-A. And then there's a really weird scene um, on on page 13 where the Excelsior is trying to rescue this small scout ship. And you see the Excelsior, and then below it is the original Enterprise, like a Constitution class NCC-1701 that hasn't been upgraded yeah, it's weird. It doesn't make sense because it's a science vessel that they're chasing. Well, you know what's even more weird about that is that on the page before the one you're talking about, they have a frame where they're on the bridge of the Excelsior and they're looking out at the ship on the view screen. And on the view screen, you do see the Oberth class science vessel. And then on the next page, when they show an exterior shot, they have a Constitution class Enterprise. Yes. So there's just a few things here that the the art department missed. And before we get to things, I guess, that we liked, we're talking about things we didn't like. Um, I do not like the artwork of Sulu in this comic. It is horrendous. He yeah. looks like he is a somebody who drinks all the time. <laughs> he His does, face doesn't he? Is very, I mean, he did, it does. His face is long, and, yeah. and it doesn't look anything like the Hikara Sulu that we His know. His hair is really messed up all the time. Yeah. yeah, it looks like he never takes a shower, really, is what it is. <laughs> uh, he's got this nasty, stringy hair. Um, he looks really tired all the time as well. Yeah, where he actually looks like the Sulu that we remember. Um now well okay while we're on that topic though and this is something that i didn't like about the artwork as well is that when he realizes that they're not going to make it to the well when the tholians kind of grill him for not making it there on time and he realizes there's a problem the scenes that they show of him sitting in the captain's chair he he does like you're saying he looks like someone who drinks all the time he looks like a drunkard sitting on a park bench in the park who has lost his job and his wife. He's basically a walking space country song. And it just doesn't feel like the captain of a starship. And and, and then he perks up and he like makes a decision. But what I'm feeling like is that one thing I feel in this comic and in a lot of these comics is that part of the message is that these captains learn from James T. Kirk how to be a captain, you know, how to bluff, how to judge what your opponent is going to do. And they're supposed to be inspired by Captain Kirk. And when you look at how the artwork of Sulu is done, uh, particularly in these scenes, I don't get that at all. I get like a, a guy who is depressed to, to the point of collapsing that he made a mistake and it just doesn't really fit the story. 
Well, and it doesn't fit the the character that we saw in the film. You know, the undiscovered country really has Sulu being this um, confident Con- captain. Confident, like, yeah. He has taken. Yeah, he's taken everything that he's learned from Kirk and and made it his own. Um, and uh, th- that's not something that I get at all in this comic until kind of the very end. Right. Which is really, uh, you know, discouraging because, you know, Sulu is, is an interesting captain. And, and he has a lot of the pieces that you might see and think of as Kirk. But at the same time... I always kind of expected him as a captain as well to have a little bit more of a Picard tint to him. Like he was going to be a little bit less action and a little bit more cerebral. Um, That's just my personal take. And and this comic didn't really see that. Um, Right. What I do like about this comic, though, Chris, is seeing the Tholians again. The Tholian Assembly and the the Federation here are, are trying to avert a war. And yet everything is kind of working against them for that to happen. And it does take Sulu to say, are you going to kill us just because we were late? Are you going to start an entire war that's going to kill, you know, lots and lots of people? Or are you going to cut us some slack? Are you are you going to show mercy? Which one of those is greater for you? And um, it's a good resolution to the comic for all the issues that I have with it. I really do end up liking where you come to in the end. I find it interesting that Sulu being Japanese and, you know, our transportation system here, the trains and all, they they run like clockwork. So I would expect that uh, he would be also very concerned about punctuality and, and the Tholians seem a little bit more like Japanese train conductors here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Um, it's not necessarily his fault. He did have to go after the science vessel that had been stranded. Yeah. Uh, he's able to save it. You know, it's one of those things. It always seems to be that when a starship in Star Trek is got a time limit, something's going to keep them from being uh, there on time. Exactly. Um, and as Deanna said, we don't have the time to talk about time because right. we just don't have the time. Um, I So, th- yeah. Sulu runs into that problem. My other question, like, I know space is big, but it always seems like there's only one ship even remotely in the area of a crisis. And in this case, they give the Excelsior this very important mission that has a tight time frame, and they tell them, don't be late. Was there not some other ship somewhere that could have gone to rescue? Because... The Excelsior wasn't particularly close to the science vessel. They they had to go there at high warp in order to get to the vessel and beam everyone out. Is there not another ship somewhere that can help out? Because this, for, for me, it was just kind of like a convenient... Part of the problem, again, is that we're dealing with comics and there's just not enough time to really flesh out the story. But I felt like as a plot... It was like, we have to create some kind of problem for Sulu. So here's a stranded science vessel that he has to go rescue before he can meet the Tholians. That way he's going to be late. And my other thing was questioning his decision as a captain. When they go to rescue the science ship, he says set a course warp eight. 
Well, if your ship can go warp nine and you absolutely cannot be late to meet the Tholians, why don't you go warp nine to rescue the science vessel instead of going warp eight? That's a good question, Chris. I don't really remember my warp scale theory. Um, from what I remember in the next, I mean, the original series, warp seven was really their top warp. Anything beyond that was pushing it. Um, and then, you know, of course, the next generation, it's 9.99, but that's, you know, you're going to burn out the engines really quickly. So I don't remember the movie and era if, you know, pushing it past warp eight into warp nine is something that you just. You don't do uh, unless it's very for a very short time. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. So um, that's my that's my rationalization for that was that that's really their top warp. All right. You would think Sulu would know this. I mean, he he's been a navigator on the Enterprise for twenty years. Well, so. later he he does tell them to go warp eight or best speed, push the engines to the max to actually fly warp. apart. Then yes, fly apart. Then. I don't know. It just felt it felt a little bit convenient for me. Um, it is one of those things where maybe if it were a novel, then it would have all made a little bit more sense and, and felt a little bit less convoluted than it was. Uh, I, I do wish that when we see the Tholians, we see them twice in here. We see them during a flashback to the TOS episode, the Tholian web, where uh, Sulu is telling about his first experience with the Tholians. And then we see them, of course, later on where it is actually in the current time frame. And I, I wish that at that point, because a number of years would have passed, that they would have shown them a little bit more clearly the way that they do on Enterprise, on the view screen, instead of it being quite as fuzzy, just because it would have helped to, it would have helped the story, I think, to differentiate between the flashback and the current situation that they're in that would have been nice yeah i think that would have been a really good choice for them um to to do that as well but at the same time i guess they're trying to keep consistency in how the tos era looked at tholians maybe a couple of other things i did like in here uh well first of all it starts out with sulu fencing and it's nice that they picked up on his hobbies. They got the fencing in there. Thankfully, he's fully dressed because, you know, especially at this point in time when he's older, he's captain of the Excelsior, I don't want to see him in little spandex pants and no top as he fences his new first officer. You didn't You didn't want the TOS, you know, really tight red pants like Kirk had <laughs> with no shirts, you know, sweaty chests, that... that... That's not what you were hoping in the comic? No, I was scene, not Chris? looking for that. Uh, the other thing is that they picked up on the cue of the fact that Sulu is a botanist by hobby. He he has a great affinity for botany. You know, we've seen in a few cases in TOS where he was growing plants in his quarters. But they really overdid it. Uh Sulu's quarters on the Excelsior are apparently a gigantic jungle he really just likes the smell of fresh earth and plants while he sleeps chris you know it makes <laughs> him feel comfortable and safe so yes he is completely surrounded in his quarters by plants he really is i i, I which which was funny because <laughs> you know i don't remember when christian slater comes in to wake sulu up in the undiscovered country there being any plants in his uh so maybe this is, 
you know, a few years down the road after the Undiscovered Country, and he's had time to cultivate some of these Maybe so. beautiful specimens. Although there so. was that cut scene where Christian Slater peeks in, the door slides open, and he says, Captain, is that a touch of lilac? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Actually, I think that Worf wears the cologne Sulu. Uh, and <laughs> so... Uh, which was a special lilac blend with some other, you know, mossy smells, some, right. some earth tone smells. So he brought uh, he brought a few bottles back with him from their time on K seven and trials and tribulations. Right, right. He uh, he actually just raided Hakuro's uh, quarters there and made sure that he was able to to get enough uh, to bring back to Deep Space Nine. Apparently, Gen Zia just really likes that smell. <laughs> I guess so. A couple of other nice little things in here. Uh, when they see the planet surrounded by a Tholian web, and Sulu perks up and says, My God! Just as he did in the Undiscovered Country. And uh, My God! <laughs> that's it, exactly. And uh, also, I like that when the Excelsior warps in to intercept the uh, Tholian armada. I like the zoom text behind the warp nacelles because I always picture, you know, starships coming in and you hear zoom as they come in and you can only really capture that effect in a comic. Which is which is funny because in the especially in the undiscovered country that is basically the sound that the Enterprise makes and the and the Excelsior makes as they're warping. Zoom! As they go across the screen, you know, just streaking. And so, yeah, I, I did like that comic. There's, there's nothing like a big, like, onomatopoeia across the screen to really let you know what's happening action-wise. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so so that's the Sulu comic. Uh, what what are your final thoughts on this particular comic? You know, uh, this comic is decent. Um, I, I generally like the story. Um, I appreciate that uh, they're, they're they're giving us um, a lot of fun nods. Uh, you know, artwork mess aside, um, I, I think that this is a is a enjoyable story to read about Sulu and, and just him being in command. You know, the things we talked about, I, I would have liked to have seen him be a little less um, trepidatious, I guess, as a captain. Um, it, it seems like to be a man that I wasn't familiar with, especially from uh, the Undiscovered Country. But, um, and I like seeing the Tholians. So on a whole, I would give this, um, I would give this three out of five Grace Lee Whitney's. And uh, so, yeah, this is this is this is not a bad comic. This is worth picking up on, you know, Comixology uh, and, and giving it a read. All right. Yeah. I Yeah. Trepidatious is a good term. I think for me, uh, the way that Sulu is portrayed in this comic is not accurate to the character of Sulu. And the takeaway from the comic for me, the message that I feel is being portrayed here is that. Sulu learned from his time serving under Kirk how to make, how to take calculated risks and how to bluff and how to find solutions under pressure 
but I don't think that the writing or the artwork actually serves that message very well. And so, I don't know, for me, I, I would ex- have expected to see a continuation of The Undiscovered Country, Sulu, and I don't really feel like I, I got that here. So, for me, I probably would give this maybe only five out of ten fencing foils. Well, next we have Chris uh, is uh, John Harriman, and uh, you know we all know him as the kind of bumbling captain from the Enterprise B, uh, the poor guy who got saddled with a ship. Well, I know him as Stewart from Spin City. Yes, there he is, uh, Stewart from Spin <laughs> City. I, I I most remember him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and. Um, so yeah, he he's had a long and illustrious acting career uh, from different things, but you know I I do remember him as I felt so sorry for this guy. You know everything that he could have done, Starfleet had sent him out with a ship that had been just it's basically half assed. Um, you know no torpedoes, no tractor beam. You know uh, medical staff doesn't come till Tuesday. What are you doing sending a ship out across you know the um, the solar system? And it not be prepared for space. I just don't understand. Right. I guess they felt that we were just going to go for a quick spin around the solar system so that the news media could, which is interesting too, you know, there never seemed to be any news media in the Star Trek universe and in the Federation, at least on Earth, until that. And then suddenly there are all these reporters shoving microphones and cameras into people's faces. But I guess they felt like, oh, you know, yeah, the ship's not ready yet, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like Starfleet, they learned how to roll out new ships by watching old Microsoft events where they just introduce half-assed products that are only concepts at this point, And who knows when they'll actually be ready. But uh, that, that was the approach they were taking. We're going to get you excited about this, <laughs> but two years later, it's going to be completely different, so don't even worry about yeah. it. Or we might not um, ever actually launch this ship. So, Exactly. <laughs> Luckily, uh, you know, these uh, starships are not made by Microsoft, so uh, they actually do get launched. Um, just... Luckily, hopefully after this, uh, you know, starships didn't get sent out of space dock without a tractor beam, photon torpedoes, a medical staff, you know, a fully functioning starship. So hopefully they learned something. I mean, they lost Kirk. You you should probably learn something after this. So, well, getting into this comic, Chris, I think this is my favorite out of all of them. I'm just going to say it up front. And the reason that I really like this comic is because it actually deals with... I feel like what it would be like to be this man who everybody basically would look at and kind of blame for losing Kirk, you know, Kirk dies on your ship. And what would it be like to walk around with that kind of stigma? Um, How would you uh, grow out of that? Could you ever grow out of that? How would you live with yourself? uh, Honestly, knowing that, you know, a living legend had died under your command and, you kind of came off as is is weak the whole time um just something that i i I really appreciated about this comic dealing with those deep issues of how would you live with yourself Uh, what would you do and uh, i appreciated really that 
uh, Harriman doesn't understand or doesn't feel like he can go on. He, in fact, after this mission, they're going to be on. He's going to quit. He, he's he's resigning his commission. He doesn't think anybody will ever trust him. And I think this is a fantastic story because of that. And on the other side, of course, you got Bones. Uh, and we all know from this show how much I love Bones. So, uh, Chris, I've talked enough. What, what did you think? <laughs> it's interesting because I, I don't like this comic. And it's actually my least favorite of the four. And But I see what you're saying. And in that respect, if that's the story that you want to see about Harriman, then... Yeah, I can see where this could be a good comic because they do delve into the fact that he is known as the captain who lost a legend. And, you know, it's regardless of whether or not you feel it's really his fault or whether it's Starfleet's fault or whether it's just chance, you know, um, it's, you know, when you when you roll the dice as many times as Kirk does, eventually you're going to lose and it's kind of what happened here. Like Kirk always finds a solution to a problem and, and it always works out for him. And then finally, here's a case where he did find a solution to a problem, but he ended up from their perspective being killed. And then ultimately he does end up dying, of course, in generations. For me, what I wanted from a Harriman comic though is I wanted to see some sort of redemption for this captain who I have always felt was completely miscast. I thought that the casting of Alan Ruck as the captain of the Federation flagship, the Enterprise B that was replacing the Enterprise A, never felt right to me from the very first time I walked in the theater and watched Generations when it premiered. And... I I don't know. I, I felt like they, I'm not sure if they just chose someone who didn't come off as a captain or if they intentionally wanted to make Harriman this, you know, babbling idiot captain so that Kirk would be the hero and so that, you know, Scotty could jump into action as well. But it never worked for me. And I always felt that the captain of the Enterprise B should have been the best captain in the fleet. Like whoever is the captain of the Enterprise should be the best that Starfleet has to offer because the Enterprise is the flagship of the fleet. And, uh, you know, with Kirk, I got that. With Picard, of course, I got that. Uh, I think the little bit that we saw of Rachel Garrett, I could believe that, yeah, she was that type of captain. But Harriman never worked for me. And so what I wanted from the comic was sort of a redemption of this character. And I felt that what we got instead is that we got someone who went from being unworthy of being the captain of the Enterprise to being unworthy of even being the captain of any Starfleet ship at all. And this for me is mainly a Bones comic. And at the end of the comic where we get what I guess is supposed to be the moment of redemption for Harriman, I felt like it was a cheap ripoff of the search for Spock. Hmm. I guess I just didn't take it that way. Um, <laughs> I think we're, we were looking for <laughs> I, a, like a completely, each looking for a completely different story in this. Comic. Yeah. Uh, I see. And, and, and I think that the reason that I liked it is because I felt like, what I needed to see from this character is, is what you said. I needed to see him kind of 
um, grow from what I saw in Generations to being something different. Um, and I really liked how they did this, that, um, you know, Bones has come on the ship. He's having to deal with one more person that just yeah. kind of hates him. Now, I like Bones uh, in this comic. Bones is very, very well written in this comic. Yes. Uh, it feels very much like a DeForest Kelly yeah. uh, in this. In this, and, and the fact the artwork here is just fantastic as well. This, mm-hmm. To me, this this is hands down my favorite. But um, just seeing um, uh, the the storyline progress and then of course him telling um, him the story of, of you know the search for Spock and what happened there and then having that come back to play I mean I knew that they were working towards the fact that Harriman is going to redeem himself by finding kind of that inner person that was probably there before everything happened in generations and it's just been kind of shattered in him and he's needed somebody to kind of give him a kick in the pants. And, and that's right. what bones does here. And, uh, I really actually really like too. you know, he, he starts giving orders uh, on the ship, uh, and, you know, telling people to be quiet and, um, starting to feel commanding right. by the end because his crew doesn't respect him at all and even Demora is is questioning his commands I mean, right says, right yeah and uh you know the the whole um star trek 3 bit i i actually i i enjoyed it i thought it was good you know because they do do it differently you know and instead of slightly you know, different. everybody well yeah yeah well, no, it's pretty different because the Enterprise completely survives and the Klingon ship is the one that blows up. So they switch what happens. And I liked the beaming of the torpedoes over to the Klingon ship because the Klingons think they've won um, and right. it's surrender time. Yeah. Um, so I, I just liked that this is the comic where, you know, you were talking about Sulu kind of learning to bluff and all those kind of things. This is the... This is the comic where a captain really did learn from Kirk. Do you think? Because, um, you know, Bones yeah. was there to help him along the way. Do, do you think he really learned, though? Or was he parroting Kirk? Because no, I don't I, think he I, learned. I got the... See, I got the feeling and from from the, the comic by the uh-huh. end that what I was supposed to leave with, which I'm sure that what they were going for, that this guy is going to be different. He's not going to resign his commission. He's going to go on being the captain of the Enterprise B. And he's going to learn to take some of the things that he obviously, you know, Bones told him. He's going to take those to heart, but he's going to make that into his own person. Okay. It just happened to be that what the situation he was going through, this worked, you know? Okay, yeah. I mean, I can see that, and and, and I agree. And maybe if we had had more Harriman comics where we could actually see him grow from this experience and continue on as the captain of the Enterprise, that could work. For me, though, I mean, what I got from it at the end, though, was that he still didn't really know what to do, and then he remembered the story that Bones told him about how Kirk rescued everybody from uh, the the no-win scenario that they were in, in orbit of Genesis. And Harriman just decides, oh, I'm going to do what Bones just told me about. And I felt like he's just parroting Kirk, and he's just... Because even Bones is like, what the hell are you doing? Because Bones, I guess at that point, thinks that 
Harriman is going to blow up the Enterprise, but he's not going to get everyone off. I I don't know. I just took it as um, a, a kind of a a cheap solution where Harriman was simply mimicking a story that he heard rather than actually learning anything because there's not enough time, of course, for him to learn anything at this point. So for me, I don't know, the ending that's in the comic didn't work. Now, what you say about what is going to happen to him moving forward, that, yes, I can see. Well, see, what what I... I, I kind of base that off of too is is the fact where you know the Klingon ship is approaching, and uh, he says go to yellow alert, and Lieutenant Sulu there at the helm you know says not red alert, and he quotes her the regulations. Look, if we if we go to red alert here, we we're violating the Kitamir Accords, and you know Harriman understands at this point he could start an interstellar war with the Klingons still right. if he's not careful. So I appreciated that. Uh, in some ways, I I didn't I didn't really see Kirk there. I was seeing this kind of Picard figure where um, he's he he he's understanding he can't just pull out his phaser, uh, you know, or raise shields every time the situation gets tough. Even if that means sacrificing himself and his ship, I, I that's what I got yeah, out of that. But and don't forget that, in Undiscovered Country that that Kirk beams over to Gorkhan's ship. Because he says, you know, we will not be the instigators of intergalactic war on the eve of galactic peace. Full scale. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, and you know, I felt like he was making wise decisions up until that point. Like he was, he was doing what he was supposed to. How you know, I, I don't think he was expecting to be fired on by Klingons. And 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 the, you should and always expect to be fired on by Klingons. Well, that's 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 true, especially in this time period. They have you know, a pretty good track still not record, buddy, buddy. Yeah, but all in all, you know, I would say that um, for me, I feel like this comic works really well. I, I like the way the story is crafted. Um, I like that it's a pissy bones, as he calls himself. He's like a, you know, I'm I'm pissy and I'm angry, so I'm probably even more pissy. Well, he does. Um, he says, I'm sorry, just, I've been acting like an ass. <laughs> you know, maybe it's because yeah. I am an ass. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it, it's it's just really classic bones. Um, but I appreciate that some, it, they're using him to help further on this guy as a captain and, and changing who he's going to be. And that, um, you know, something as deeply psychologically scarring as, you know, having Kirk die under your command is going to take something like this. And I thought it was, I really liked the line at the end where um, Bone says, well done, Captain. And he says, thank you, Doctor. And he says, uh, no, thank you. You saved our lives. Uh, and so you reminded me of someone as I was watching you do it. And, you know, obviously he's talking about Kirk as an, ap- an absent friend. And I appreciate it because Bones is doing everything he can to build this guy up and turn him into somebody that he can be. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's kind of the it's like the origin story uh, for for Harriman. You know, how does how does the hero go from being a zero to a hero? You know, and you only have 24 pages to do it, so right. you're not going to get as much exposition. But for me, hands down, I I give this five out of five. Sorry, and Brandy's because it's Bones' favorite. Um, 
the artwork in here we didn't really talk about too much, but it's fantastic. I think it looks really good. And uh, mainly, too, because all the characters look like the characters you saw in the film. Yeah. Um, Morisulu, uh, you know, uh, Bones, Harriman, they all look fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, and then the beginning, they reenact a little bit of Generations. And Scotty's spot on. Kirk is spot on. And even when they go back in time to tell the story of Star Trek Three, those characters look very good as well. So they all look like that. Um Star Trek Three crew, and so just really fantastic. I, I, I don't think I could recommend this more highly personally. All right. Well, I'm going to differ with you. I'm going to give this one three out of ten conscripted physicians. Whoa, yikes! <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, the next one, which is Pike. Well, Chris, what did you think about this one? I, I talked a lot about. Our last comic yeah. for you. Tell me what you were thinking when you when you read through this Pike, uh, because for me, just the artwork on the first page, I was I was already enjoying it. It's it's really beautiful work. Yeah, the, the artwork in this comic I like very much. Uh, both this comic and the next one that we're going to talk about are both done by J.K. Woodward for the art, and I really like the art style in these two comics. Uh, I feel like the characters really look like the characters, and it the 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 color palette in this comic also is very nice and appealing. As we go back to the the TOS era, but the the Cage era, you know, because it's picking up right after the events of the Cage, and the Enterprise is headed back to Earth because they have to give a report to Starfleet, a full debriefing, and Starfleet actually wants them to come home. You know, not just uh, write write anything up. So I like that. Um, I really like this comic. I like the concept of it. I like the story. I like the fact that they went and they picked up the whole angle between Captain Pike and Yeoman Colt. Because, you know, when they envisioned Star Trek, when they put together the promotions for Star Trek, Colt was right there she was important to the to the concept of the series. But we didn't get to go anywhere with that, of course, because all we had was the cage and then all of our characters change. And so I like the fact that they picked up Colt. They picked up that potential relationship, or at least the feelings that Colt had towards Pike. And I also like the fact that this took what I feel was part of the goal of the original series, but something that couldn't really be achieved on television, which was to take women in the 1960s and show the potential that women have to to be equals to men, to serve in capacities in work, to be leaders, to be captains. And it shows how Pike, you know, Pike comes off some of his comments, especially to number one in the cage, like, uh, the, the typical 60s attitude towards women. But then he tells number one, you know, but you're different. And number one gets kind of frustrated by that comment. But in this comic, they're able to actually show what I think was Gene Roddenberry's original intention with Star Trek, where uh, Pike helps kind of foster Colt. He sees potential in Colt and he helps to try to foster her. He recognizes the contributions that she makes during the events in the first part of this comic. 
uh, he puts her in for promotion, and and then she actually becomes a captain twelve years later. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, I also liked that they um, they just picked up on the romantic subtext right. there between them as well, and I thought that that was really well done. You know, not over the top or anything like that. You know, but actually for me, this is the comic I think that I probably had the most problems with story wise. I liked the story. But I really didn't understand at the end of this comic, where the hell does that ship come from that's attacking, you know, Jupiter again? Why is it there? And seriously, there's no defense systems. There's no other <laughs> yeah. ships in the system. Other, I mean, it made absolutely no freaking sense. Well, we know. And so I With could the- not forgive this comic for that because they're in the soul system. Yes, but we I know mean, with the exception of... The best of both worlds, I guess it is, where we do know that there is some sort of Jupiter and Mars defense perimeter. For the most part in Star Trek, we know that Earth is essentially defenseless all the time. Starfleet, they've got all their ships out somewhere else, and there's just, there's nothing to protect Earth. There's always only going to be one ship in the vicinity, and everyone's going to have to race back if Earth is in danger. Yeah, um... The thing I really did like about this is I kept imagining Spock um, from this era. So, you know, whenever he would say something, it would be like, the weapons appear to generate extreme heat on a molecular level, Captain! Because he yelled everything (laughs) in the, you know, um, and then he would smile. Uh, So I kept imagining... Spock Bob shouty pants. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just Kirk, or um, excuse me, just Spock saying things like, Sir, our records have not been updated for more than a year. But the vessel matches no known configuration. You that know, is like exactly really what loud, he would have like, sounded like. Yes, it's so funny because you know, just imagine Pike being like, uh, "Spock, I'm standing right here. I can <laughs> exactly. hear you. <laughs> I'm right here, Spock. You don't have to shout." Uh, but I, you know, on a whole, I, I really the I think what really wins me over about this. Um, is the art um i i this is just hands down some beautiful artwork um the only other real problem too and and it was all technical problems they're getting attacked by this ship in the beginning how in the world do they beam over to this ship it i mean the, the the transporter guy says i think i can get through their shields captain I just need a minute to compensate for this, that strange radiation. What the heck? Like, you can just all of a sudden beam through shields now? Of like, course. <laughs> th- there's way too many contrivances in this comic. But the story they're telling, I really do like. Um, and it finally answers that question about how Pike um, ended up in the chair. Um, and Right. And that's another thing that I like about it. What I like about that, too, is that they didn't just completely make up some kind of of new story. What what they actually did is they took the information that we had been given in the past and they used that and then they fleshed it out, you know, because the story was that uh, it was actually the story is 11 years, four months and five days uh, after he that's how long he was on the Enterprise after uh, those events. And then he gets promoted to fleet captain. And in this comic, it's 12 years later. That's when he goes on and he meets Captain Colt on the Exeter. And th- the story we know is that 
he was on a training vessel and it was a class J starship and some baffle plating ruptured and it exposed everyone in that area to Delta particle radiation and Pike helped rescue these cadets, but he himself was crippled. And what we fill in here is, okay, well, the Exeter is Captain Colt's ship and it's a J-class starship. And they have these trainees and these cadets uh, on there. And they fill in the fact, well, okay, what really happened was, you know, well, why did the play, what happened to expose Pike to this radiation? And this fills in that there was actually some sort of engagement with aliens. And it makes a little bit more sense. It kind of fills in the details, but it's based on the information that we already had. And that's something that I I do like here. I also really liked... um... Again, I liked this romantic angle, you know, that that Colton and and Pike hadn't seen each other for a little while. And she is kind of lamenting a little bit in the fact that they, you know, she's married and and moved on and she wishes things were a little bit different. And and it really is kind of heartbreaking the very last scene where um, she has seen him uh, being, you know, put into the chair and told how she can talk to him. And the last scene, you know, she kisses him and, and is walking away and there's tears rolling down her face um, that this is somebody that, you know, she learned from, she loved. Yeah. And uh, this this comic does that really well, the emotion. So I, I, I really enjoy what they're able to do, even with the things that bother me about this comic. I, I'm really drawn in by this very human story that they're telling between Pike and Colt. Um, and I think that that's really well done, especially, you know, 20, 25 pages. Um, you, you know, you're emotionally drawn in with these characters. Right. Yeah. I, I think this comic did more with the character development and told much more of a real story than either of the previous two that we've talked about did. So uh, I really like this one very much. So I'm going to give this one nine Captain Pike beeps. Or, or for those not reading the comic, flashes of the little light on his wheelchair. <laughs> uh, Chris, I'm with you. I, I, in the end, I really do like the the story that this comic is telling, and and um, I am drawn in, and the artwork is fantastic. So, um, I'm going to give this four out of five shouty spocks. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to give shouty spocks for this. Okay, well, let's go on to the last one. Jellico. All right. Now, I think all Star Trek fans can agree that Captain Jellico is a bit of an ass. No, no. <laughs> He's so nice. Like it's like a cuddly grandpa. You just love him, don't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Matthew, what do you think the goal was in telling a story? Now now this comic is written by our friend Keith DeCandido. What do you think the goal was of this comic in terms of telling a story about Jellico. You know, it, after, even after reading it, Chris, I'm still not sure. Um, I think what it was meant to do was to show that not all captains are Picard, you know, not all captains are Kirk, you know, or Sulu's. They're not all the same. They have different styles. And just because they're not, you know, Picard or what we're used to doesn't mean they're not good captains. And uh, that's really, I think, what I got here 
in this uh, comic is that Jellico is somebody who expects excellence from his crew and demands it and will transfer you off his ship if he doesn't think you're giving it to him. Um, and well, at the same a, time, there's Riker would never do that, would he? Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, Riker, just easy going, you know, just you said laid it. back, put his put his put his foot up on your, you know, chair, or, you know, lean in. So your his crotch is in your face. <laughs> so uh, what, what I, I really noticed, though, about this is that if you if you look inside his ready room, he has artwork. Um, I noticed that's that. obviously drawn by children. Yeah, and there's a... <laughs> what I realized is that Jellico is a, probably a father and uh, and a grandfather. And okay, um, well, see, I my first thought was that they have Captain Jellico Day on the Cairo. <laughs> no, I I I got the feeling that what they were trying to tell me is that. Jellico is serious about the job that he does for the Federation because he wants to go home to his family. Okay, um, that's a good point. You know, his family doesn't live on his ship. Right. The, the, you know, Enterprise, uh, the Excelsior class is not made for families. And so that's what I, what I was getting from. There's a heart to this man behind this kind of like gruffness. And I that's where this story kind of came alive for me when I was just seeing what they were doing with the artwork and kind of with this guy. And they were giving me a lot of subtext, I felt like, to help me empathize with somebody who is on the outside just kind of an ass. Okay, that's a really good point because otherwise I leave this comic feeling just as much like Jellico is an ass as I did going into the comic. <laughs> I think that was the... The uh, subtitle to this, which was <laughs> Captain's Log, Jellico, he's still an ass. What's <laughs> an ass, always uh, an ass. <laughs> oh, man. That's what they so say. So many ass jokes. <laughs> about Jellico. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, well, now the story is really told through the eyes of a new character, who is Commander Leslie Wong, who has been transferred to the Cairo as Jellico's first officer with essentially no notice. So she's just thrown onto this ship with a captain that she doesn't know. And I mean, I, I guess that wouldn't be that unusual that, you know, the captain selects an officer and he doesn't really know that officer very well. But I suppose you would normally have more advanced notice that you're going to be joining a ship. You have time to study up a little bit. You know, you have time to go shopping for fabrics with Beverly Crusher. You got time to do stuff like that before you end up on the ship. Where uh, Leslie here wow, just who gets... doesn't want to go shopping for fabrics with uh, Beverly Crusher? <laughs> I know that's your idea of a good weekend. At least until you find he has a whiny son and then <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> Oh, um, but she gets there. And what did you think about the character of Leslie? Because I, I didn't really like this character either. She reminded me of when you work in an office and there's always that one person who is the know-it-all, who thinks that they're better than everyone else in the office and who really looks down upon everyone, even though there are a lot of other people who are more qualified for their jobs than that person is. And they see right through that person 
And that person frequently gets slapped down by the boss. Basically, they're they're like Dwight Schrute on The Office. She's kind of like Dwight. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I didn't take it like that. I was looking at it from her perspective. If, if, like you said, you know, she's thrown into this situation. She doesn't know any of these people. She doesn't know this crew. Uh, she doesn't know Jellico from, you know, Captain Picard. Um, so it, this this is a completely new situation from her for her. And I felt like the whole comic, she's trying to play catch up as a character. You know, she doesn't know how the ship is run. She hasn't had any briefings. You know, Jellico doesn't sit down with her and say, okay, this is what I do. This, this, and this. This is how we do shifts. You know, there's no manual that comes with, how to be the first officer of the Cairo. She just gets thrown in and You mean there's I, no first officer my, for dummies Cairo edition? There isn't. Uh you know, somebody was writing it, but they got so tired of being around uh Captain Jellico that they just quit. <laughs> they um, have one so, for every other ship in the fleet, but the Cairo they never could finish. Except that the one. Cairo. No uh, one could hang yeah. in there long enough. Which is why She's being recruited to the Cairo because nobody wants to be the first officer on this ship very long. Um, So I just, I I think what I was doing is just putting myself in her shoes and kind of feeling that feeling of always being behind and trying to play catch up um, and not really thinking that you're ever going to be able to please this captain either. Um, And so it made it probably my least favorite of all of them just because it, I feel like story-wise, I wasn't as clear what I was supposed to come away with. Right. Even though, in yeah. the end, I liked Jellico a little bit more than I did when I started. So, I guess that's <laughs> Which a win. Is not saying much, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he just went <laughs> from being an ass to half an ass. So, um, but uh, I liked this kind of like cat and mouse game that they're playing with the Cardassians here thought that that was fun um and enjoyable the artwork again in here is fantastic looks a little bit like the art from the last one which it might be the same it is style the same but artist. it's more yeah. in, okay it, it it's more in pastels though yeah than the last one so i just i really enjoy it it's more it like really the good, first so. part of the last one when they're they're still back in the cage time frame yeah yeah um so and i liked that we see um one of the aliens that eric's is and so i thought that was a lot of fun throwing that in there yeah he's an adosian and i liked seeing him on there as well although i think it'd be really weird to have three legs and three arms honestly yeah um it looked like his uniform wasn't very comfortable either you know trying to cover that arm coming right out of the middle of your chest Uh, it seems like it would be awkward to sleep too but i don't know yeah, I, those are some of the things I really like too, and uh, I really enjoy um, watching them tractor beam away a Cardassian uh, ship in shame. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of fun as well. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the best part, talking about the artwork, you have to admit, the very, very best frame in here is on page 10. It's the second one where Wong has caught the con officers and the uh, navigator joking about the Bajoran officer. The facial expressions are hilarious. 
Yes, they they are very funny. Uh, maybe we could use that as the cover art for this session. Um, <laughs> of the, that just it is pretty funny because how many people have made that face where you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So, or I just got caught, you know, with your hand in the cookie jar, basically. So, um, really yeah, hilarious. I really, I I liked that too. <laughs> and then after she reprimands them for. Uh, insulting a fellow officer being Bajoran who, you know, saying, Oh, she's just saying that about the Cardassian because she's Bajoran. And then the Bajoran officer says, thank you, commander. And Wong says, don't, it just means that I'm assuming you jumped the gun on yellow alert because you're young and stupid, not because you're Bajoran. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. That seemed like to me, um, Something that uh, Bones would say to, you know, one of his staffers. Oh, yeah, maybe. Medical Bay, yeah. you know, uh, when they did something dumb. So, well, uh, you know, Chris, on a whole, what did you uh, think about this? Any last thoughts? And, and what would you rate this comic? Oh, goodness. Um, as Shervin would say, it's fine. Uh, like you, like I, I didn't quite get at the end what I was really supposed to take away from the comic other than what you've already suggested, which is that, and I didn't really take this. I only, I can see it now that you described it, that Jellicoe's gruff, but, you know, he has a family, he has grandkids maybe, and he takes his job very seriously. He demands a lot out of his officers. And maybe he's not as bad as we think he is. But he is still an ass, pretty much. If you worked under him, you would still... He's not someone you'd want to talk to. You'd want to steer yeah, clear of the boss. he's the last person I'd want to be under. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, the artwork is good. I like the artwork. Um, I think the story flowed pretty well. I, I could see this done as an episode, like on The Next Generation, like like Data's Day, for example, where you've got Data kind of narrating what went on over the course of a day. I could kind of see an episode like this where Wong is taking us through things. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd give it six extra arms. I like that rating, Chris. Um, you know, I, 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 it's funny you mentioned the, the, just the narration and how they might do this episode because I was thinking um, it seemed a little bit the way that they do Grey's Anatomy. Um, the main character Meredith narrates every episode and sometimes they'll have other narrators but so really to me this just seems like this was Leslie's anatomy and this was her new job and she was you know narrating how it went it did not go well the first day um so so know, in this comic you're saying comic. that Jellico was sizing up Leslie's anatomy that's what you're saying cuz he no, was no, he was like no. you know seeing how things went through her first day on the job as first officer. And and he decided in the end to keep her and get rid of that Bajoran woman. Yeah, yeah, maybe the Bajoran just, you know, not his type anymore. Um, (laughs) Anyway, back to reality, what really happened to the comic, Chris. Yes, back to to the reality of Star Trek. (laughs) Back to reality. Yeah, come on, Chris. (laughs) Respect the comic. Um, <laughs> I would say that this is, is, is not a bad comic. It's interesting. It's it's worth going ahead and getting and reading. And on a whole, if I was going to rate it, I would probably give this 
oh, three out of five stupid Bajorans. All right. Okay. That's an interesting rating there for sure. Well, on a whole, Chris, I think that these comics um, are are actually something that are really interesting. And and as you talked about in the beginning, I would have loved to have seen these continue. Um, I would have loved to have seen more uh, issues on these different captains. Um, I would have loved them not to have felt like they needed to do everything in one shot, especially with the Pike comic. Um, the Seeing the ongoing adventures of Harriman... Um, getting uh, Rachel Garrett, I think would have been fantastic. I would have loved to have seen more of, um, you know, uh, that ship, the enterprise C shooter McGavin, uh, her first officer just would have been great. Um, and, uh, so lots of great, uh, stuff that they could have done. I like that they did these comics though. And I'm hoping that IDW, um, will be encouraged, to continue to try new things like this uh, because I really enjoyed it. And especially these last, uh, for me, the the last three I think are better than the first one. The, the Sulu one for me just probably be, I don't know, it, it's probably my least favorite actually, which is kind of sad. Yeah, well, I think the artwork really hurt that story quite a lot. Um, talking about hearing about other captains, seeing where they go. One thing I did earlier in the week is I put on our Facebook page a poll and I asked the question, which of these captains would you most like to see lead a future Star Trek series? And and I did this partially because we did yesterday's Enterprise on the Ready Room last week and we talked about Garrett and uh, partially because I knew we were preparing to cover these comics on literary tricks this week. And the the overwhelming winner, of course, was William T. Riker. So uh, people most want to see the adventures of Riker as a captain in Star Trek. And number two in the rankings was Sulu. And then you'll like this, Matthew. After that, number three on the poll was Esri Dax. I love myself some Esri, and and I really do like her in in the books as Captain the Aventine. She's really coming into her own as a captain and I'm actually hoping and crossing my fingers a little bit that they might uh, give her some standalone books with her crew. Um, I think that that would be fun to see. Um, Otherwise I'm glad that they're going to be using her in the fall series. So um, definitely looking forward to that. And then after that, uh, the one of interest is Mackenzie Calhoun on the, in Peter David's new frontier series. Uh, a little bit of interest there of possibly, I guess people are saying they would be interested in seeing an actual TV series based on New Frontier. And, you know, I don't know, that could be could be kind of cool. I'd watch it because, you know, Leffler would be on and you'd watch it because Solara would be on. So Exactly. And everybody would watch it because Shelby was on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not, a, I'm not a Shelby fan myself, but yeah. Well, uh, you know... Um... I really enjoyed getting to see Elizabeth Dennehy in the extras that they did for the Best of Both Worlds, and she was just fantastic talking about, you know, being on this show. It was one of the first times she'd been on, um, you know, uh, a big show like that and trying to be an actress in, in Hollywood. So I really, I just enjoyed her personality now. Didn't really like Shelby either. Uh, she was kind of an ass too. <laughs> well, 
that's what she was supposed to be in the episode, and it worked well for the episode. But as a character, yeah, I wasn't quite fond of her. But uh, anyway, I just thought I would throw that out there. Some thoughts from our Facebook followers and uh, what they would like to see in terms of stories about other captains that we haven't seen before. Well, Matthew, it's been really fun talking about these comics today. I hope uh, people will go and check them out. So why don't we tell everyone where to find us if they would like to share their thoughts on these comics, on any of these captains, on any of the stuff we talked about in news. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There is a form there. You can choose to send to a show. Choose Literary Treks, and that will come to us by email. We have another new option on the website now. You can actually leave us a voicemail by just using your browser and your camera microphone, if you'd like. Uh, if you look on any page on the Trek of Film site now, you'll see a little tab on the right side that says Leave Voicemail. If you click that, a box will pop up and it will allow you to record a voicemail and it will upload the audio for you. And that's all there is to it. So a very easy way for you to share your comments with us by voice now. And uh, you can also go to the forums at trek.fm slash forums, where you'll find an area for books and novels and one for literary treks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Matthew, uh, as if those were not enough different methods for people to talk to us, they can also talk to you personally if they want to. Where should they go to do that? Well, if you'd like to find me, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing zero two. Uh, just enjoy talking to to people about all sorts of different things, whether it's uh, you know seeing Star Trek into darkness. Uh, cannot wait, Man of Steel next week. I might be tweeting a little bit about Mumford and Sons. I'm going to see them in concert next week as well. So um, forgive me if that happens, but uh, let me know if you follow me. Give me an at reply, and we'll talk about whatever's uh, of interest that day. And Um, You can also, of course, find us on the Orb, Chris, where we talk Deep Space Nine all the time uh, and have a great time doing that. Now, Chris, if somebody wants to find you when you're not um, digesting Star Trek comics, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that username. And besides the orb, Matthew, which you just mentioned, you can also find me every week on The Ready Room, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series. Uh, We talk about the movies. We've actually done all of them now. And sometimes we have special topics. Uh, This coming week is going to be our 100th episode of The Ready Room. And Matthew, you're going to be co-hosting news with me. And then we're going to have a really big show. We have a special thing in store for everyone. So check that out. And also, we'd like to invite you to go by iTunes if you like the show and leave us a rating and a review that uh, we love to hear from you and it helps other people find the show as well. And lastly, we'd like to encourage you to support our sponsors for today's show. First, there's Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a website or blog or portfolio or a store. It's really a fantastic system for CMS and hosting. I promise you'll absolutely love it. You can try it free for 14 days. And then as a Trek of Film listener, you can save 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. You just go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6 to get your discount. And also there's TrekFan. Now this is a really interesting thing. TrekFan isn't just a fan club, it's a challenge. And with TrekFan, you'll be exploring new places, learning new things, and collaborating with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. Plus, you'll win great prizes. 
Go over to trekfan.org and get your first challenge. Check out the puzzle that's on the page. See if you can figure it out, and that'll get you over to more information about this really interesting new club that's being put together. Well, we'd like to thank you for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.